Good afternoon and welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We're back with a new show every Friday at 2 and just like every week with me is my good friend and co-host Jim Stam. How you doing brother? I'm doing good man. How about you Gary? Good. Uh, we're both riding high after uh, being on Mad Chad and Eddie the other day so if you didn't have a chance to check that out definitely do. It was It was awesome being able to talk about some different sports with you man. It really was. Um, yeah, those guys are are uh, already doing their thing, but they were nice enough to let us jump on. And uh, man, it was fun, and and it's a it's a really good uh, podcast episode. So I hope people check it out. Yeah, now we just got to get Chad on here so that he can uh, get embarrassed on his pirates knowledge a little bit. <laughs> but uh, we're going to do a different type of show today, and and we'll need our next guest to help us out. Uh, with that. So let me introduce you all to yet another Point Park University graduate because we can never have enough of them. Uh, He's a current contributor for Jays on the Couch, and that's the Blue Jays in case you uh, can't figure that path out. Uh, (laughs) His name is Steve Feck. Steve, he's the self-proclaimed ugly American on that network, and I openly invite him today to just be, well, American and say hello to all the Yenzers, brother. (laughs) Hey, thanks for having me, guys. This is like an honor for me. I'm actually on in my native country, in my in my hometown city here. You know, as opposed to beautiful. Yeah, so to creating internet international incidents every time I do a show or a podcast for Jason the Couch. So this is awesome. Well, there's that, and we don't have like maple syrup candles or anything like that behind us, so you know it's not going to smell the same either. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. But. Uh, As I mentioned, Steve covers the Blue Jays, and I'd like to talk to him about their rebuild, how it's been to cover that and the experience. Um, But first, he's also seen what Ben Charrington can do firsthand. So let's start there, Steve. You've been keeping an eye on your beloved Pirates, even while you cover the Jays. Um, Any parallels you can pull from Ben's time in Toronto? Um, I don't think there's any surprises with how he uh, is approaching the build in Pittsburgh. I, I won't use the word rebuild when it comes to the Pirates. I mean, yeah, well, that, what, so. <laughs> well, right. I mean, and he's been consistent about that. I mean, really, they're an expansion team in, in so many ways. They are building this organization at every level, every aspect business, financial, they are reimagining what the Pirates have always been. And he is the perfect guy to, you know, to accommodate that kind of things. Now, he had, Tarrington had a pretty low profile in Toronto. Okay. Right? I mean, more people probably know about his work when he was, you know, the GM of the Red Sox. And not only did he build a World Series team in three years in Boston, he left behind guys like Mookie Betts and Devers and Bogarts and Christian Vazquez that were the core of the next World Series team for them. And that a lot of them are still there now. So um, I I think... We're just going to not talk about Sandoval at all? (laughs) Well, well, I mean, Sandoval, bad signing. Yeah. But, but, But again, he went out and he acquired guys like John Lester and John Lackey. 
right. you know, Mike Napoli, all guys that were big contributors for that 2013. He signed Hanley Ramirez. I don't think there was a major league team around that wouldn't sign. Well, the Pirates, because they won't spend the money, but you know, but you know, that wouldn't have signed Hanley Ramirez, you know, to that big contract. Everybody wanted Hanley Ramirez at the time that he signed. So you're going to make mistakes, and Charrington doesn't hide behind it. So yeah, he, he basically can can turn on a dime and make it better if he does take a wrong path, is what you're saying. That absolutely, and he'll fess up. I mean, when he left Boston, it was under kind of dubious, you know, circumstances. They hired Dave Dombrowski literally in the middle of a game, and by the right. end of the game, he, he rendered his resignation. Uh, he never complained about how he was treated or how it was handled. He said, "I just wish." I could have done more or that I could have fixed the mistakes that I did make and have the Red Sox back on path for for the thing. So I think what you're seeing in Sherrington now is very much what Red Sox fans saw and the same kind of anger, confusion was there when he first took over Boston that is there now. Toronto – he came in, assisted Shapiro and Ross Atkins in the, you know, in the in the retooling of their farm system. Uh, they broke down all the big salaries, you know, and when he came on board, he worked hand in hand with the international scouting director and the farm director to sort of develop strategies and right. and policies. And that really helped the Jays develop, especially on the offensive, you know, standpoint, guys that are going to probably put the Blue Jays in the World Series within the next two or three years. So, and I think that's what I was going to ask you, Steve, is like um, his time there, and obviously uh, you've got Guerrero and you've got Bichette and whatnot. How how instrumental do people see him having played a part in that with those types of guys? Because let's face it. Those are special players. So, how, I mean, how was that viewed from his time there? I don't think that the Blue Jays fan base would really say Ben Charrington is a big piece. I think everybody really is focused on Shapiro and on Atkins. Uh, but that's also um, Charrington's nature and, and, and his strong point. He doesn't need the big spotlight on him. And another guy in the Toronto organization who actually I thought was going to be the Pirates GM, Tony LaCava from Oakma. I mean, he does so many things on so many levels of the organization, but he just goes about his business and he does it. He doesn't try to bring attention to himself. I bet you half the Blue Chase fan base doesn't even realize that Charrington was part of the executive team in Toronto. During See, that's the good insight, though, because, you know, it's Jim, we, we were talking – we always talk about the communication issues with this team and how how quiet they are when when things happen. You know, like Joel Hanrahan just up and quit yesterday. Apparently, he told the team two and a half weeks ago he he was going to resign. Nobody says a word. First news that breaks of it is Hanrahan himself tweeting. Right now, to me, that's a misstep. But basically, just talking to to Steve here for a couple minutes, maybe that's kind of Charrington's nature is that. He doesn't need to be out here telling us about all these little um, insignificant type moves in his eyes. 
But I guess when you're following a rebuild closely, it's difficult for me anyway to ingest that as insignificant. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Pirate fans in general and, you know, um, I don't know, maybe it's like this with other other organizations. You know, right now we are we are um, we're hungry for news and we're looking for anything that's coming out of that team and that organization. And, um, you know, we're analyzing it and. Um, obviously we want, we want to talk about it and let's be honest. I mean, the pirates haven't been great in the PR department for, well, it's been, it's been a while. And, uh, so it, it, it may, I mean, maybe that's just a personal preference, um, on our part that he's not really interested in getting, you know, out in front of that stuff. And he's very, uh, eyes on the prize, so to speak. And, that's just his nature. It sounds to me like that's what Steve is saying. Yeah. Self selfishly, I I want more, but yeah. you know. Yeah, it is it's, what it is, I guess, to an extent. Yeah, it's so, the business we're in too. I mean, we we, got, we need something to talk about, right? You, you, so we don't want to be left in the dark and guessing. And I'm sure that you know, in Sherrington's mind and the and the front office's mind, with all the announcements that came out today. Then they were going to address Joel Hanrahan. But, I mean, obviously Joel Hanrahan uh, was not happy with his role or his input, you know, with the team. So I think he wanted to put it out first saying, look, I'm leaving, you know, and that maybe caught the Pirates off guard a little bit. But Possibly. Yeah, especially, especially for now, don't be surprised if this information is more of a trickle rather than a flow. Well, that's good to know. I'll tell you what, man, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit of rebuild theory. Okay. Let's talk about the, the path that Toronto's taken, the path that the pirates are on and um, really other options out there that the teams can take to, to be successful in this league, the way it's structured. Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Back with Jim and Steve. And what we're going to do now is talk a little bit about um, the different ways that teams can rebuild in baseball. Um, We're going to try to avoid talking about when um, your lot in life really plays a role in that, you know, because it's it's certainly different for the Padres to develop to uh, rebuild than it is the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Baltimore Orioles or even the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, so years ago, the Toronto Blue Jays bottomed out and invested heavily in the international draft and the draft itself and traded high-priced players for prospects. And, you know, now you're looking at a team that – I mean, it's hard to consider them anything but an offensive juggernaut at this point. So seems like pitching's been a little bit behind hitting. And they're trying to make up for that with uh, free agency, which is arguably the scariest approach there is to rebuilding out there. The Pirates, um, I think it's profiling the same way. I think bats are coming up. I think arms are behind. Um, I would say that I think we have a few more high 
end low prospects, high end low in the system prospects in, in the on the mound, but at the same time, I think it's profiling almost exactly the same, where we're going to come out of it a little short on arms, at least big top end arms. Um, there's different ways to do this. The Blue Jays have done it one way, and I think they started trying to go for it last year with really spending. Steve, are you satisfied with how this rebuild has gone in, in Toronto? What have been the roadblocks? What What are some observations you have along the way? Well, I think the, the Blue Jays was had core players at the lower levels of their minor league system, just like the Pirates have kind of stockpiled that now. So over time – these guys are going to develop and come up. So you had, I mean, they uh, Anthopoulos signed um, Vlad Guerrero Jr., but then they drafted, you know, Biggio and Bichette. Uh, they traded for younger guys that hadn't quite made it, uh, like Teoscar Hernandez. They signed, you know, Lourdes Gurriel. So they used all right. the various things you need to do, international draft, you know, solid drafting, and building on what you already had. And – they didn't really rush it. They looked at it, and I think this is where Charrington really had a big say in it, where he would look at it and say, okay, yeah, we've got all this talent. It's not necessarily major league ready talent, so let's not rush all these guys through the system. And, you know, okay, fans will get a little bit restless or whatever it would be, but, you know, I think that's where he helped Atkins um, – and LaCava and the other staff there kind of look at it and say, okay, yeah, we've got the core there. We need to be patient. We will get there, but we need to be patient. And in a lot of ways, he's doing it now here in Pittsburgh. Uh, there was some talent there in the lower levels. There, it was pretty much devoid at AAA and, and AA. Real, I mean, it, I mean, yeah, there were oh, some players. You're not going to offend us, Steve. We did. Yeah, I know. It I is know. what it is, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so he looked at, okay, you lose 2020. So really last year was the main year where he's looking at. He's looking at the system and he's like, well, I really do kind of like a lot of the things we have, but we're not really ready to, to make a bigger step yet. Right. So – you know, okay, we have to be able to to, you know, to take all the guff. We're going to trade Jacob Stallings for a seemingly nobody that's going to help our roster. Well, Thompson will be in the rotation, but, you know, for more prospects and they're going to take more hits and more hits. But this year, if those players continue to advance, then in essence, the Charrington timeline that he's put in place right. in both of his major league stops, everything's right on time. Might be a yeah, little bit late, but... Yeah, I'm with you. I, 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 I keep telling people I think this year is going to be fun because you start to actually see some of the product coming up. Next year, things really start to get fun. You know, you got a, a whole second wave starting to come through then. Um, and I think it you is, start to understand the picture a little better. Yeah, you Go know ahead, what? It, no, I was just going to say it's interesting. Um, you talk about Steve's talking about, you know, the patience that's involved. Um, something that caught my eye today was uh, – uh, Derek Shelton, and he had talked about uh, expedited development, and um, that that got my attention because um, a I wonder how realistic that is, 
uh, in, in baseball. And B, uh, it's the first I've heard of that where everything else has been very much as Steve describes, which is completely um, slow, steady, cautious approach, not going to rush anybody, let the timeline, you know, um, play out like it should. So it was just an interesting comment. Um, I'd I'd be interested to hear what both of you have to say about it. I mean, as far as him as expediting, I didn't see it yet. I mean, I guess Rodolfo Castro was kind of put on a fast track, but I felt that was almost more because they protected him on the 40 man and didn't have any options and needed somebody up, you know, they could play. <laughs> I, I don't think it was necessarily, they thought he was ready, ready, you know, I almost um, took it as something like that. They were talking about moving forward. That was going to be a, the, the emphasis. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um, Steve? Well, moving forward, that, that kind of sounds that's suspect to me too, because yeah, I agree. We'll see like when we see the assignments for, for minor leagues, because you know, if Henry Davis starts as a grasshopper and he stays there past the all-star break, I got some questions about expediting. You know, if uh, Nick Gonzalez starts in double A and isn't in triple A by midseason, I've got some questions about expediting. If Matthew Frazier remains in double A instead of instead of starting in triple A, even though he's not on the 40, I have some questions. It was I'm just not a curious comment. Moving at all. That's the thing that scares me the most is these bats are coming. I feel the bats coming. I see the bats coming. The arms aren't coming. Quinn Priester, to me, is is very much so on a methodical pace through this system. And um, when you draft an 18-year-old, you can expect that. But at the same time, you know, now you're looking at 22, 23-year-old by the time he gets here. You know, that's that's not ideal. So, so do you want a fully polished 22 or 23-year-old? You mean like you Mitch Keller was supposed up? to be? Mitch. Like, well, he was supposed to be. He was, dude, oh, he was right, the right. Well, number he was seven prospect in all of baseball. Right. That's about as polished as you can get. Right. Tyler Glass yeah. now, too. Everybody, oh, Tyler Glass now. Oh, we don't care about Cole and everybody else. Or, you know, we have Tyler Glass now. But sometimes it just doesn't work in a particular situation exactly. I, I don't i don't know what mitch keller's situation is honestly i i you, you we don't either so neither yeah, do I mean, Hammerham, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean some players problem anymore some players look great on the sidelines or in spring training but they just cannot seem to apply that knowledge in a game the blue jays yeah, have right. a guy like that in nate pearson who throws you know 100 miles an hour? He's got all these just nasty pitches, and then for some reason, once you get you know any little step back or any little blip on the radar, and he kind of falls apart, and then he overthrows his slider or overthrows his fastball, and it just falls apart. And Mitch Keller reminds me a, a lot of that kind of a pitcher. It's a great comp because I you know I, I've thought about that too before um, with Pearson actually because. Almost failed prospects or prospects that are on the danger point of failing, they're literally always in rumors for, for trades to the Pirates for stars. So I've already heard the Blue Jays interested. In, in, this is fan stuff. Don't, don't take this as like something credi- credible. But, 
you know, I've already heard all the Blue Jays are going to want to trade for um, for Brian Reynolds, and we'll get Pearson, and <laughs> you know, they they go off and name Ale- Alejandro Kirk and all all these guys that are borderline and maybe going to make it. Should have Manoa, you know, all the different players like that. So that's where we kind of hear those names. Most often. I think, yeah, I think too. Like, what's interesting about it is, as we sit here and talk about, and look, I don't want to overanalyze one thing Derek Shelton said today, but it is the lockout, so maybe, maybe I will. But you talk about expedited development, and you, t- and, and I took it as more of like an organizational approach, when really it's kind of a player approach uh, a singular player and how they respond to development uh, challenging a challenging a guy he does say they do say player centric constantly so maybe at some point we're gonna have to believe them yeah so um to me that boy that's tough to implement across the uh an organization especially especially in baseball when we see how long it takes some guys to develop so um to me it becomes uh drilled down to the actual player but um, and it sounds to me like that's that's kind of where you guys are thinking, too. So I don't know. All right. I'll tell you what. Let's stop trying to hammer the Blue Jays into this conversation and let Steve geek out a little bit on his pirate fandom, because that's why he wanted to come on the show anyway, to talk Buckos a little bit. No, I, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is terrific, seriously, because I mean, I'm a big believer you have an American League team and a National League team. I got to do that. I got to I got to get that because, yeah, it sounds like the best of both worlds. Right. Because I mean, up until next year, when we have the universal DH, they were two distinct brands of baseball. I mean, right. I'm old enough that I remember when there was no DH. I'm old enough when I when there were no Toronto Blue Jays. But the first 10 years of me being a baseball fan, there were no Toronto Blue Jays. You know, I came to the Blue Jays because one of my high school mates, Mark Lamangelo, got traded there. That's how I started, you know, following the Blue Jays and living in, going to college in Pittsburgh. It's not that bad of a trip up to Toronto and back. I mean, when you're, you know, when you're 20, 21 years old. It used to be anyway, yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, now it's like nearly impossible. But, you know, so that's how I kind of fell into the Blue Jays. But. I well, resisted. It's good, it's good that you're happy to talk about it because I lied. I actually have one more question I wanted to ask you about the Blue Jays. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So years ago, I remember the exchange rate being an issue for for the one Canadian team in the league, as compared to the rest of the league as far as spending. How has that affected everything in Toronto, or it, is it not an issue anymore? Oh, it's a huge issue because again, you're you're paying in U.S. dollars, but you're right. getting the majority of your revenues in Canadian dollars. So it's sort of like the comparison I would say is like, okay, a free agent can sign in Texas where there's no state income tax, or they can sign in Pittsburgh where there's a tax on just about everything. You know, so tax on this show even. Yeah. <laughs> so really, it's that kind of a deal. And that's why you see like in their last couple of big free agent signings, Ryu got the extra year. Right. Springer got the extra year. Uh, Dalsman got the extra guaranteed year. Even with Barrios, with the extension that they gave him, it's, it's seven years. It wasn't five years or six years. They have to 
guarantee that extra money. So you have to be more careful, perhaps, on how you're throwing your free agent dollars around. I mean, and Blue Jay fans are just as bad as any other fan. But, oh, we, we have to sign this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy. You know, and we, we can have a $400 million payroll. No, you can't. You know, I mean, it's, at some point you have to be relatively smart about it. And I realize here in Pittsburgh where if they spend $60 million, you know, we're, we're thrilled. But they have $64 million last year? Oh, that's awesome. They're up to $64 million off their payroll. I mean, that's terrible that you're looking at that way. Um, but – I'm, I, I don't know anybody that looks at it that way. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. That's we're, for sure. But we're on to full scale bitching now, brother. I mean, like okay. I know how it used to be, but not anymore. We're we're full on complaining now. I, I I mean, I think right now he would have to do some pretty drastically stupid things to make the payroll high. As a matter of fact, if they instituted a floor of a hundred million as was proposed, I'm not sure how the hell he would do it right away. It would have to be grandfathered in for a couple of years. It usually are anyway when they do these things, but it would take some doing to get there. Um, the MLB proposal is immediate. The MLB is saying you need to do it right now. Now, there would, no be, there would not be penalties involved, but there's been talk about, okay, so year one, you're not quite up to $100 million. We understand, especially since it's not going to get settled till February or March, the CBA. They're going to wait till after football's done and all, and all the other stuff is going on before they probably try to settle it. But after that, just like there is the penalty for spending above the competitive the competitive balance tax type of thing, there is talk about okay, we're going to have a soft floor. So okay, so you only you only spent you know you spent fifteen percent below the hundred million. You're going to lose 15% of your revenue sharing if you're eligible for revenue sharing. So that's what's going to motivate a team like the Pirates. And it works to their advantage because now they can not only keep guys that are arbitration eligible, they can really work hard to either, when they do make trades, bring in guys that are signed to relatively team-friendly deals. But it also allows them the flexibility, I think, long-term to kind of re-engage the fan base. Pirate fans just assume that, I mean, I mean, if a, if their favorite young player makes it to the first arbitration hearing, we're popping champagne corks. It's like, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. You know, they, they, we actually offered arbitration to somebody good. It's going to force them to, whether it be a two-year or a three-year arbitration, depending on the CBA, these guys are going to stay in town. So you're going to naturally be paying more money through a second arbitration or even a third arbitration award. So getting to that floor eventually will not be as bad. And right. what is what is the one team that still has an outstanding grievance from MLBPA? It's the Pirates. Yeah. It still hasn't technically been solved. Nothing's, there's been no punishment, but that grievance is still open. Every other team solved the issue, not the Pirates. So a hard floor or soft floor, I, I think it solves a lot of issues for Pittsburgh. Well, I think it only solves the issue if they actually fix the revenue sharing and put some kind of a, a lower cap on. I think if the spread remains as ridiculous as was, was proposed, it's not going to do anything. So... 
Jim, any thoughts on that before we take a quick break and jump back into another subject? Well, it just depends on if we're going to just not talk about the Blue Jays anymore because I just wanted I just wanted to talk to, uh, uh, real quick about you got your Vlad. man crush you got to talk about. I, yeah. I do, man. I want to talk about Vlad. I want to talk about what it's like to see that dude. Um, you tell me, Steve, and tell me contractually where things stand with a guy like that because Pirates are thinking about trying to maybe extend Reynolds. They got an even bigger decision than a younger guy. So tell me about him and what's it like to see him. To, to watch the Vladimir Guerrero of 2021 is like having all of your dreams come true. Because again, he again he wasn't in the best of shape. He struggled a little bit, you know, uh, in his first two major league seasons. But it was just unbelievable. He was as close to automatic as I have ever seen. Okay, Bonds at his best. Carl Yastrzemski in that 67 year where it seemed no matter what, I mean, he, he could fall down and, act and hit a ball to the gap for a double. Guerrero was unbelievable. The fact that he was not the AL MVP borders on criminal. It really is. Shohei Otani was great. Okay. But it's not, MVP is not the best player. That's why you had the Hank Aaron Award. He, he was just everything you could ever hope for for a player. On your team, so he and, ranks. You're saying out of all the guys you've ever seen, he ranks up there in ability. Uh, is he is he that good? I, I do. I mean, I, I think he's. I think he's better than Tatis. And you know, he and Tatis are, are close, and they train together, and they're friends. I think long term, he has a better. Ch- he has the chance to be better than Tatis and be perhaps the best player in Major League Baseball. I honestly believe that. I think and he's a, better than Tatis too. So. Yeah, and, yeah, and tying it back into my into my pirates geekiness, there's a guy in the pirates organization. When I see him, and we've only seen snapshots of him, I didn't. With all the COVID, I haven't been able to get out to a lot of minor league games or whatever. When I look at O'Neill Cruz, he's not going to be as good as Vladdy. He's going to be Vladdy like. I we've really never seen that. somebody do like small finger motions for such a big guy before. I'm from New Jersey, so we have two ways to communicate. With it's our a hands, Jersey thing. Right, or we drop F-bombs. We use it sort of like punctuation, not necessarily just to use the word. I really can't do that on this podcast, so I'm going to really work <laughs> with my hands. And... Very good, though. I, I mean, uh, the O'Neill Cruz comparison is uh, – is interesting. I mean, maybe I'm a little too close to it, and maybe I'm a little too pirates pessimistic. I don't. I don't. Not ready to make any kind of declaration like that yet. Um, you know, Jim and I went to his uh, his first game this year because you know we're both really excited to see the kid play, and he was impressive. But he was also taking some swings that man, he really shouldn't be taking, and. That's something that's got to get cleaned up. And, you know, we start picking apart like, oh, yeah, defense, man, it doesn't look natural when he's going down for the ball. Should he be playing there? So I guess uh, as a Pirates fan, somebody that's involved in this team drastically, maybe we're more of in the show me territory where I need to see it before I can start, you know, um, making any kind of comparisons. But I'm comforted that you feel that way. No, based I'll on take what it. you've seen. 
I'll yeah, take we'll, uh, yeah. Vladdy Light. Vladdy yeah. like Vladdy light, however you want to say it. Right. I mean, and we as Blue Jay fans were there, especially in 2020 when he was overweight. He was a guy without a position. Yeah, he was a third baseman. Yeah. I mean, technically, you know, he was a third baseman, but he's O'Neill just has the basic, I think he really truly sees the whole field. I think he will eventually become a better situational player as well. I, I, I am as excited as you guys to see what it brings for Cruz. And we, and Jim, you were talking about uh, the, uh, the extra expectations being put on these younger players. I think right. Cruz is one of those guys, you know, Cruz, uh, Colt Tucker, Mitch Keller, the guys that really are there on the precipice of perhaps becoming established major league players. I'm not saying they all will be, but I think that's where Shelton is referring to those guys saying, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to expect, we know what you could do. We want to see what you are going to do. And we're going to expect you to live up to at least a portion of your potential. So real quick, um, contractually with Vladdy, um, they're going to get a deal done with him. How much would it take? Um, I don't know that they'll get a deal done with him. I think that that's the disadvantage of having a player whose dad played in the majors. You're going to get advice saying, no, 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 write it out. I mean, they will do everything that they can. Personally, I really think there's a chance and I know most projections aren't showing this, that he is going to set the record for first-year arbitration-eligible contract. Well, and year. it's interesting with Cabrian Hayes, we talk, we uh, that factors in as well, um, you know, with his dad. So uh, it, puts those, it puts those situations in a little bit different light than normally, I think. So that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Man, I'll tell you what. The Jays and the Pirates have a lot more parallels than I thought they did, really, before we started talking here. This is a good breaking point. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk in some more bucko baseball. Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Um, we're going to try to focus on the Pirates a little bit here. Um, we'll shade it with some Blue Jays here because we definitely want to feed off of Steve's experience a little bit more. But I um, thought we'd start by talking about the coaching a little bit because, you know, Joe Hanrahan, at least for fans' perspective, kind of came out of nowhere. And the team obviously liked him. They tried to extend him. They offered him an extension to stick around in the minor leagues. Joel wanted to be in the major leagues. I understand that. No grudge, no, you know, no hard feelings. Go do what you got to do. Today they had another exit. Roberto Andrade, who's been with the team for almost 20 years as a bullpen catcher and an assistant coach is leaving his position for San Diego. So I guess what I'm wondering is, have the Pirates potentially bought in on Marin a little too much? And 
some of his underlings are starting to defect. What do you think, Jim? I'm going to let you start with that because we're local. We should know this stuff, right? <laughs> well, we should or should have a good idea. I, I'll tell you what. I think if, if, if I'm going to be honest, I, I'm not going to pretend to know. I, I, I think that's a really – Well, then show's over. We have to pretend to know. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not doing that to anybody, good, bad, or if I don't know, I'm just going to say it. I just – you know, it, it, seems, it seems like there's some credence to that. Um, like you said, he's been with the system. How long? 20 years? Almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the few Spanish speakers on the team too. Now the core is gone. Right. So Not great. No, I mean, and who knows who they have, you know, who knows what, what their, their mindset was, or maybe it just simply comes down to sometimes just like what the Hammerhand situation is guys want other opportunities. They want to change. Yeah. They, 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 you know, so maybe, maybe some of it's, um, uh, geared toward what the pirates want to do, but maybe it's other guys looking for better opportunities and, and maybe getting them. So I don't know. Um, I think maybe it comes down to the individual situation a little bit. I mean, you know, I know everybody, everybody on this show today has, has written about baseball and and teams, you know, um, some semi-professionally, some professionally. Um, I guess my eye is kind of trained on the anomaly. I want to see what that weird thing is. And for me, that weird thing is that two pretty high-ranking underlings of Marin decided to up and quit within a day of each other. And Steve, I know you're an old news hound too. What, what does that make you think? Is, is it lead you to any kind of conclusion or... What have you seen from Oscar Marin that makes you a believer? I think he has a knack for touching on what individual pitcher strengths are as opposed to trying to apply an overall strategy, you know, to a pitching staff. I mean, yes, he's he has – pretty strong ideas and he has certain training deals, but I really do think he just has a knack at looking at an individual pitcher and say, well, okay, look, what about rather than do an overhaul, what if we just tweak this? So what if we try, you know, the, the two seamer rather than the four seamer, he seems to be that kind of pitching coach, how that carries over to, you know, to Joel leaving. I mean, that, that one kind of caught me off guard like it seemed to have caught you guys off guard as well. Um, I do think it's more of a matter of that he, I think in his mind, he should be at least the assistant pitching coach because the Pirates don't I have agree. one. You know, I mean, unless they added an assistant pitching coach today, they, they don't have an assistant they pitching coach. They did not. Coach. No. Right. Okay. Yeah, so and he could at least be that. When you break it down, say, okay, Joel, you know, you take care of the relievers. I'm going to really focus on the starters, but you know I'm still the guy. But this is what this is what we can do. As far as the the bullpen coach, I want to say he's from Mexico, so going to San Diego might just be a logistical thing. Being closer to home in time, I could be wrong on that, but I believe he sure. And and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to create controversy here. I I just again I'm looking for the anomaly, and to me, it's all in the pitching staff right now. And to me, that's a little strange. And 
I get what you're saying about Marin. That's certainly the reputation that he brought in here. I haven't seen any evidence of it. I'm not seeing that one thing he's making better for one guy. I'm seeing guys that are coming up looking more ready than they are a month down the road. I'm seeing guys that look better when they arrive than when they ultimately get demoted. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, if you, you know, want to tell me what why you're seeing that, that's what, that's what I'm looking for. I think reputation-wise, that's what he's known for, or that's what he's trying to implement. I I tend to agree a little bit with Gary. Is like I don't know that I've seen it enough. I will say that if it's ever going to happen, they've got 10, 11 guys they're going to be trying to fit into a starting rotation. We'll we'll really find out if there's anything to it. Um, yeah. And that maybe and that maybe is what is a little bit curious. Uh, to Gary's point is with Hanrahan is that they're probably if if Marine didn't do well this you know this go around here coming up there probably would have been an opportunity there I would have thought um, so the fact that he chose to leave even with that as maybe something that was coming down the road a um, little curious I mean you get into like three years of operating someone's bad playbook you're not going to get another job. You know what I mean? So if he really disagreed with what he's being told to preach, maybe that was the, the motivation. You know, it's there's a lot of different, different ways you could look at it, and a lot of them are going to be guesswork. I mean, we have what Joel said so far. It looks like he just wanted to work in the MLB, and the Pirates didn't want to put him in MLB. But, Steve, for me, it's a little weird that the Pirates openly called him a fixer last year, openly pitched him as somebody they sent problem children to, praised him for the response of Mitch Keller when he came back after his little fix-me tour, and then suddenly he's not good enough to get what he wants with the organization, which is really a pretty cheap promotion. For a position I've been arguing they need for a year. Well, so, uh, right, and I I absolutely agree with you that there should be an assistant pitching coach. I, I believe the other twenty nine major league teams have one, and if they're yep. if it's not all twenty nine, it it's twenty seven or twenty six of them have. I, I couldn't tell you currently, but when I researched this topic like five months ago, all of them had them except yeah, the Pirates, it's it's so. the standard at this point in across major league baseball. Right, same with hitting, which yeah. we also don't have so i will say this charrington and his staff probably really believes that it is more important at this stage of the build of the development of this franchise for a guy like joel handerhan to be able to go and sort of be like the roving minor league pitching guru because that's where the future lies at the major league level you have some guys that are going to be okay i mean I, i'm probably a little higher on jt brubaker than i think you guys may be i no, think that I, he's can, my favorite out of the group so. yeah, I know, but, but i mean i having listened to, to some of your other podcasts i it seems like you guys still want it still on the show me stage i i don't know 
And then going back to a, a point you made earlier, there's a famous comic strip where a dad's sitting there and his kid comes home and he's all do- downtrodden. And the dad asks him, how'd, you know, how'd, your, how'd your game go? He goes, oh, I was throwing a no-hitter until the big guys got out of school. I think that's what's the, the situation here with some of these pirate guys that they've been bringing up in 2021. Uh, O'Harry, for example, I mean, he looked really good his first thing, but then he sort of like seemed more hittable. I think it's just you're, you're, you're cruising and then suddenly the reality of well, maybe I don't quite have everything put together where mm-hmm. I'm a, a reliable major league pitcher quite yet. I think that eventually catches up. But look at the Atlanta Brave staffs. You know uh, that everybody says, "Oh, probably the best pitching stabs ever." Glavin, Smoltz got hammered when they were when they got brought up by Atlanta. They got hammered, and the Braves just said, "Keep on going out there. You're going out there. You're going out there. You're going out there." And eventually, they learned how to become better pitchers by dealing with that adversity and trying to figure out ways with the stuff that they had. To not allow that to happen again and again and again. And I think that's, that's the advantage really of youth. So that's the advantage of youth. So when you do look at the depth chart of pitchers they have, if you want a reason for optimism, that's it. They got 11 or 12 cracks at pretty youthful pitchers that could turn into something if they got the right guy. And Jim, I think that's where you and I fall is we haven't seen anything as far as evidence goes that Oscar Marine's the right guy. And I think 2020 really hurt the cause because, you know, 60 games wasn't enough to evaluate anybody. And realistically, everybody he had on his pitching staff for the most part is gone. Mm -hmm. So really, we have who we had last year. Large amounts of that are not returning next year. So again, it's almost a whole new turnover for Oscar Marin. So when does the evaluation phase end? Because we're talking about a team that we feel by 2023, 2024 should be starting to make some noise. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go crazy and say World Series, super, you know, whatever. But they should be starting to make some noise and competing in that division. I don't want to waste a year with a coach I don't believe in. Does he have to show something this year, or do they move on? I think he has to show something. I mean, I think if you've got 10 or 11 guys, and look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that these guys are all good or great or anything like that. There's there's a lot of question marks. But if you're not pulling something out of two or three of these guys, at least on some level, whether it's figuring out they don't belong in the starting rotation, they have some success in the bullpen, whatever it is, it, it, you got to start seeing it now. If they come out and just it's a it's a it's a mess and a disaster, I mean I I don't know how you could possibly keep him on after this. I, I'm in total agreement with you, but Steve, it sounds to me like you're basically saying when you got young pitchers, you kind of got to be patient with every asset around them, right? So you're saying mm-hmm. stay the course, trust the trust the process. I guess for me, that'd be a hell of a lot easier for me if Oscar Marin had any kind of a track record before coming here. Um, You know, it's not like we hired somebody that's done this before and we can call back on, yeah, he's had this experience and he's learned. 
for me, you've got an analytics-driven guy trying to find his way. They're not supporting him with an assistant coach. His underlings are starting to drop off. And I'm just not seeing improvement on the field with anybody that matters. That That's a scary recipe for me. So at, as you're following a team that's rebuilding, how soon's too soon to pull the trigger? Do you give him more than this year? I think it depends more on overall performance. But I agree. This is a must-do for at every level of the organization, this is a must-show improvement year. The Pirates aren't going to win the NL Central. I think everybody agrees to that. As bad as some of the NL Central teams might end up being in the long run, uh, they're not going to win the NL Central this year. But if they ha- they are they are showing you know even you know some improvement in team ERA and runs allowed. I mean, if these guys are going more than three innings and four innings, you know, in a start, if you're starting to get guys going out there pitching five and six innings on a regular basis, you can look at that and say, okay, you know, we're still not there. We don't have the wins yet. Right. But we are, we are making these incremental improvements. So then maybe you give them one more year. But I mean, if, if they That's don't That's a good point, that, though, because we yeah. tend to look at it more like, hey, Keller's not getting better. Hey, um, Brubaker almost died halfway through the season. Hey, Wilson came from Atlanta and looked okay, and then he got hurt, and he's not doing good. So we, we tend to look at the, at it player by player. You're probably right. Cumulative is the best way to approach that. And I'm embarrassed as somebody that covers the Pirates to say that I haven't really thought of it like that for, for the pitching coach. I, I, I tend to think of it as individual players, so... But, uh, Jim, I know you wanted to ask Steve something rather important about the rebuild here, so I'm going to let you take the floor for a moment. Yeah, and, and just to touch on on what you just said, Gary, is if nothing else, it's another way to look at it. Um, like you said, you get very player-centric focused on a certain one's development. So, just, just hey, it's just uh, another way to, to look at it. Now, what I would be really interested in hearing – from our distinguished guest today, since he's he's been down this road a little bit before, he's he's a little older and maybe a little wiser. So I want him to. I've listened uh, to his show. He's not that much wiser, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out here in a second because pirate fans are gonna pirate fans are gonna they're gonna if they don't listen to anything they're gonna listen to this part. Tell me what's your advice for pirate fans going through the rebuild or whatever you want to call it, um, having uh, you been through uh, what's going on in Toronto and being a little bit more ahead in that process. So what, what would be your advice be to people from Pittsburgh that follow the pirates? I would say appreciate the little improvements, the little victories, because that's all you're really going to get right now. Okay, you're not going to be the Braves or the Dodgers or the Giants or the Padres in 2022. You're not. So appreciate the good things that are happening, the continued, you know, shining of of Brian Reynolds and Brian Hayes 
uh, being healthy and just turning in. He's probably the best defensive third baseman in the game now. And that's saying a lot with, you know, with Chapman and Arenado and those guys that are out there. He's the best defensive third baseman in the game right now. Appreciate that. Take that little improvement. So if the Pirates win, I don't know, 72 games, yeah, that's an, that's an improvement. Be happy with that. Enjoy these young guys starting to kind of get their legs under them and doing – it might only be streaky. It might only be flashing of kind of things. That's what you need to enjoy because you can't be here if you're down on this step. You need to go to this step. step. Right. And again, I understand. If you're a Pirate fan and you say, well, you have to be patient – if somebody would shoot me for saying that, and then they went before the judge and say, look, I've been a lifelong pirate fan. He told me to be patient after all we've been through the last 20, 30 years. <laughs> He'd get off. Say, okay, yeah, justifiable. Okay, that's fine. All right, that's okay. You know, I it, love it, the uh, analogy. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just hoping that I could actually start my car when I go out later, that there aren't pirate fans who are already putting things underneath my car. But <laughs> it, 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 that's how you have to approach it. It's not going to happen Right away. It, it, it simply is not. Uh, I think another good thing, we've been talking about the Blue Jays, but go back to those Braves teams. And even the Mets teams, you know, of like the early 80s when they first brought in a competent general manager and they were starting to bring in talent. That's, you know, nobody expected the Braves to turn around that quickly, but still – you saw those flashes in 87 and 88 and 89. You knew that was going to be a good team. Right. That's where you need to really be focused here. And I will tell you, to walk some of you Pirate fans off the ledge, I am more excited about what the Pirates will become with what they have in their farm system now and with Sherrington at the helm and Travis Williams too, from a, because you have to have a good, solid business strategy than I am about the team that I cover on a daily basis, the Toronto Blue Jays, who everybody is saying is going to be a playoff team and probably a World Series team in the next year or two. Long term, I am more excited about the hometown Pirates than I am about the Blue Jays. Well, you heard it here. You heard it here first. Steve's saying they're going to work out better than the Blue Jays. So, no, I'm kidding you. But, uh, no, that's that's interesting. It's a a reminder that – these um, rebuilds and, and what they're going through, not always a straight line. And you do have to start looking for glimpses. If you start seeing the glimpses, then maybe you've got something. Right, man. Steve, I'll tell you what, I really appreciate the insight today. It was really nice to to kind of just understand from another market's perspective how this process can play out a little bit. And I enjoyed a lot of the parallels there. I think that was a really cool conversation. So thank you so much for joining us. And, oh, thanks uh, for having me. Seriously, I, I this is like the highlight of my 2021. Since my front office, well, now I feel bad. Chance. I feel like I need right. to send you some whiskey or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, obviously, I have plenty of whiskey and drink on a regular basis with some some of the things that I say. But uh, no, this this is, this has been a thrill. I mean, I really appreciate you guys having me on and be able to talk some pirates rather than just Blue Jays for a change. Well, it was good oh. stuff, man. Appreciate having you. 
Yeah, and folks, you can find uh, everything that Steve does at uh, Jay's on the Couch. Uh, he's a contributor there. He has his own show. It's on 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 the on Fact Fact Circle. Circle. The on, on Fact Fact Circle. Circle yeah. On Jay's on the Couch Network, and on Twitter, he is Feckless Wonder, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, anything else you'd like to say, sir, as far as how people can get a hold of you or where they can see your content? Uh, no, that's that's basically it. I mean, at Feckless Wonder, uh, join the hate train. Uh, I, I respond to everything, whether it's positive or negative. I, I believe in keeping a conversation going. I don't care if you agree with me. I, I'm not trying to get you to be on my side. I want to have great baseball conversation. There's nothing better than great baseball conversation. Yeah, that's what we're all about, too. So sounds like we align with Toronto in more ways than one. Jim, how would you like to say goodbye to everybody today? Uh, listen, uh, Twitter all the time. It's uh, – for the city underscore four one two or at Jim Stam twenty two, um, always always down to talk about Pittsburgh sports and anything Pittsburgh in general. So Pirates, Steelers, Pitt, Penguins, and um, yeah, so good talk today, fellas. Yeah, hey, one more shout out for the Ch- uh, Mad Chad and Eddie show. Make sure you do check out this week's episode. Jim and I had such a good time doing it, and I'm pretty sure we're going to end up doing a lot more like that. Um, very well received so far. So let's keep it rolling. Uh, also, we're all off next week. The entire network, except for the daily shots, is going to be down next week for the Christmas holidays. So Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. Um, enjoy your time off. Enjoy your families. Enjoy uh, whatever it is you do during this period of time. Um it's been an honor being with you guys this year and we really appreciate all the support you've given us. And we can't wait to have more great baseball conversations with you next year and none better than our live opportunity on January 22nd at the North shore tavern. We really would love to have as many of you come down as possible at two o'clock and uh, be part of the live show. So without further ado, take it away, Ben. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.